In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of thy heart, my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Please be seated. One of the few TV shows which I find entertaining is Shark Tank. Recently I was watching an episode of Shark Tank and I saw a case about a poor boy who grew up running the streets of Brooklyn because he was deserted by his parents. He survived by finding bottles in dumpsters and turning them in for cash. Now grown up with an invention, he pitched his invention to the sharks and he was rewarded with a healthy investment to help him greatly expand his new company. And at the end of the show, he was in tears and said that anyone else from a background like his, rejected by his parents, should not give up hope. Just keep trying and your dreams might come true also. And as I watched this episode, I found that I had two distinct reactions. First, I had the warm fuzzies. I was glad that he had finally had such great success. And I thought, yes, isn't it wonderful that we still have the freedom in America where anyone who works hard enough has a shot at success, possibly major success? Thank God for good old capitalism. But second, I thought, wait a minute. But what about the great majority who, in a situation like his, fall into despair? Perhaps welfareism and drug use are worse. And perhaps due to hopelessness, perhaps due to laziness, perhaps due to being unable to resist the influence of peers, never work out of this misery. And even among the handful from such backgrounds who do try hard and work consistently to improve their lot, although they may make something of themselves, many never really make it big, let alone get an opportunity like the handful of people who make it to Shark Tank. So there went the warm and fuzzies. As concerned Christians, we're constantly thinking about the gospel and bringing people to conversion and eternal life. And we're also thinking about what we can do in this world to help the poor and encourage the downtrodden. Which brings me to our text for this day from the first lesson. Please open your Bibles to Isaiah 25, beginning in verse 6. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up or destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I remember back in high school when we were fighting in a long, hard football game and the, and the result was still in doubt. As we entered the last few minutes of the last quarter, it was always easy to push ourselves just a little bit harder, knowing that it would soon be over. 
Well, what is our life? It is as a vapor. The few short days we have here in this temporal world will resolve into eternity, either at death or at the second coming, whichever comes first. Surely this should motivate us to more zeal in God's work in the light of this coming homecoming. It may be that you are playing in the last quarter of your game of life, maybe even the last couple of minutes. We have heard in several sermons recently from this pulpit that our citizenship is in heaven. Then let us act like it. What, we have, what have we done lately, besides maintaining our life as comfortably as possible, to advance the kingdom of God the best we can? Are we really servants of Christ? How many times a day do we pray for the conversion of those who are close to us, ones who may have no one else to pray for them? But even the heathen pray for their loved ones. How often do we pray for others we don't know well, or for people who are enemies, as Jesus commanded? How much do we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done and really think about it long while we pray for it? Do we, think, do we like to spend time in meditation seeking to God's face, asking him to cleanse our hearts and show us our hidden sins that we might be more in tune with God's will and ways and more perfectly submit our will to the Holy Spirit's leading? Are we willing to speak up for God in righteousness as possible and as prudence dictates? When is the last time you did your dead level best to encourage someone to come to church or to bring them if you're able? Do you go out of your way to warmly welcome church visitors in hopes that they will find a loving spiritual home in your church? What have we done to help the poor and encourage the downtrodden and the unfortunate? Brothers and sisters, the day is coming when we are going to stand before God and give account. Just picture this scene because we are all definitely going to be there. Reading in Matthew 25 beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then will he sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, in the Greek ta ethne, all peoples, all racial groups. And he will separate people one from another. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Truly I say, verse 40, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And what happens right after this glorious event? Party time. <laughs> the marriage supper of the Lamb. We read in Revelation 19.9, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. If we are saved, our citizenship is in heaven. So let's act like it. Because first, number one, we're eventually going to be welcomed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what God is talking about in Isaiah 25, 6. Following along, 
On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people, including all races, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Only the finest for God's guests, the good stuff. That's how much he loves his servants. You're going to be there if you're saved. And there will be plenty of reasons to rejoice. Not only do we meet Jesus face to face, not only does God reward his faithful, but at last, number two, God will permanently destroy the veil that has been over the earth. The curse of sin is lifted. The darkness of the earth is turned to light. And the wickedness and oppressive governments and cruel indignities of this life, the satanic veil over all this world will be removed by God himself once and for all. Listen to Isaiah 25, 7. And he will swallow up, most good versions translate this as, God will destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. God destroys the veil forever. Matthew Henry says, he will destroy the covering with which all people are covered, hoodwinked or blindfolded, so that they cannot see their way nor go about their work, and by reason of which they wander endlessly. Their faces are covered as those of men condemned or dead men. There is a veil spread over all nations, for they all sit in darkness. Spence Jones says that the veil or covering, which is in this life over all things, causes men to have an indistinct vision, an erroneous estimate of their value. The prophet has in view that veil or covering of misconception and prejudice, preventing them from discovering the true sense of Scripture. Certainly one of the great curses of humanity while here is its inability to see things as they really are. It's colored, distorted, prejudiced views of life and death on this world and the next, of sinful interest and duty and happiness. This veil is certainly to be done away, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall we know even as we are known. The JFB commentary says that the covering or veil is the mist of ignorance as to a future state and the way of eternal life which envelop the nations. John Gill says, the veil is spread over all nations, meaning the veil or covering of darkness and ignorance with which the nations are covered. Bertram and Tucker say, by a veil of ignorance and prejudice, men are hindered from beholding the truths which it would be to their highest interest to see clearly. But not only does God destroy the veil of ignorance, of darkness, of prejudice forever, number three, the Lord also will swallow up death. God permanently destroys death. Look at Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from their faces. Spence Jones says, surely death is not the only cause of human mourning. Our own sins, the sins and sufferings of our dear ones are the main provocatives of our tears. When it is promised, as here and in Revelation 7 and Revelation 21, 
that there shall be no more pain, neither sorrow nor crying. The revelation is made that there shall be no more sin. For where sin is, sorrow must be. Now look at the second part of verse 8. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The rebuke or reproach of his people shall he take away. It will be among the lesser satisfactions of the final condition of the saved that they are no longer subject to reproach. In this life, they have to endure continually reproach, rebuke, rudeness, insolence. But in the resurrection life, they will be exempt from any such annoyance. The Lord hath spoken it. God's word has gone forth. There can be no retraction. The blessing promised are certain to be obtained. Friends, this isn't just some psychological projection or some religious aspiration. The Lord has spoken. Do you believe that? Do you question it? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And finally, let us rejoice in the certainty that we will meet the God we have waited for face to face. Reading the first part of verse 9, it will be said in this day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Lang's commentary says, They who believe in Jehovah will after faith be rewarded with seeing, for they can point with the finger to their God as the one who is really existent and present before the eyes of all and can say, Our God is no illusion as your false gods, we and all see him as truly existing, as him who was and is and is to come. And now the latter part of verse 9. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, the redeemed say. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Not only does Isaiah tell us this, but the same thought is echoed in Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Perhaps 760 years later, after God first wrote this in Isaiah 25, he tells us the same thing again in Revelation 19. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Our citizenship is in heaven, so let's act like it. We have the certainty of a joyous homecoming. You dear ones who are facing terminal disease, or maybe you've just had a cancer diagnosis and you don't know what will result, whether you're young or middle-aged or at the end of your years, in any case, it, the answer is the same. Do not mourn or fear, but rather rejoice. Let's serve God faithfully for as long as we can. And then realize that, like Paul said, 
to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Philippians 1.23 Our reward is certain, guaranteed by God himself. Behold, my reward is with me. Revelation 22.12 Wait, I say, on the Lord, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transferred into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Amen.